Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Hi, Larry Mueller here. We're going to take a look at your lawn. How's your lawn looking today? Does it need a bit of work? Our guest on Garden Talk today can help you out with that. Doug Soldat back with us. He's a professor in the Department of Soil Science, actually the chair of the Department of Soil Science right now at UW-Madison. Specializes in turf grass, urban soils, nutrient management, water, soil testing, landscape irrigation. He does it all. And as we talk with him, I hope you'll join in. What questions do you have about uh, improving your lawn, perhaps? What do you want to know about maybe transitioning your uh, lawn care routine uh, to fall? There are some things you need to do, and I'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 800 642 1234. It's 1 800 642 1234. Or send an email to ideas at wpr.org. Ideas at wpr.org. Doug Soldat, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Yeah, again. glad to be here. Thanks, Larry. This was kind of a tough uh, summer. Hot and. Yeah, dry really early. Grass went brown. People started worrying is it, is it ever going to come back? And then. Rains came back, but now we're dealing with heat and weeds and all kinds of excitement. Yeah, some bare soil. Bare soil, yeah. Yeah. What about filling in those uh, bare spots, maybe with seed? Yeah, so seeding seeding can be challenging for most of the year, actually. And th- yeah. there's this one window of time where all the stars align, and that's <laughs> right about now. Especially, you know, we just came out of this big heat wave. And and so now it is still warm enough where the grass seed can germinate. A lot of weed seeds aren't competing, so weeds aren't germinating, but the grass you plant will. And then it also gives the grass enough time to thicken and harden up to survive winter. So this period of time from now to about mid to the end of September is this, like, perfect window for for success with seeding. Yeah, seems like a good time. I mean, you maybe you want to check the 10-day weather forecast? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there is no such thing as average weather. You, you know, it, the the window is this period of time, but you do you do want to pay attention to like is it going to rain really hard? Well, you don't want to put seeds down right before a big storm because they'll get washed out. Uh, or if maybe there's no rain for 10 days in the forecast, uh, maybe just wait until you see a, some some lighter rains in the forecast to help with the uh, the irrigation uh, from Mother Nature. Yeah. What about seed, though? Selecting seed, that's always, uh, you know, it's something to consider, and I don't know that we always do it. I have been, <laughs> I have not done the right job at times uh, just because I grabbed something and didn't pay attention to what I was grabbing. So uh, how do you select the right seed? Yeah, we. Can, I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail with, <laughs> with calls because it is, there's, it's situationally dependent. But a, a, as a broad strokes, the best grasses for Wisconsin lawns um, will be fine fescues and Kentucky bluegrass. And I often like to plant uh, seed mixtures that contain both fine fescue and Kentucky bluegrass. Think ryegrasses are are very commonly sold. And so if you're not reading the labels and you pick up uh, annual ryegrasses or perennial ryegrasses, those often don't perform as well as the Kentucky bluegrass and the fine fescues. They come up quick. They come up quick, which is why they're popular. <laughs> it's what happens after they come up that, that creates some challenges down the road. Do you, um, all right, you put some seed down. Do you, do you, 
Is straw a good idea or something? Just kind of cover it up a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Straw is important. It'll protect the seeds from the raindrop impacts if you do get a storm. It also keeps soil moisture locked into the soil. Um, so it doesn't have to be straw. I tend to use straw, that, but any type of mulch, um, sometimes it's a paper mulch or uh, various other types of mulches, but straw, uh, straw is one of, the, one of my go-tos. Yeah. Well, um, well, you need to water. I imagine you would. I mean, you want to be sure that, what, gets yeah. an inch a week or something? Right. Or? Most people probably overwater new seedings. You just have to keep the surface moist. So it's more about the frequency than the amount when you're establishing new grass. So, you know, let's say you work during most of the day. Well, you want to water it before you go to work, and you want to water it lightly right when you come back. You don't have to soak it because the seeds don't have access to the water down deep. Um, and if you're home for lunch, uh, a lunch light watering to keep that surface moist is is all you need. So light watering two, three times a day will usually be enough to get that seed up and going, and then it'll, it'll get roots, and the roots will start uh, accessing soil moisture from deeper in the profile. You know what I did? What's that? <laughs> I was going to water a new patch uh, at the end of, in the after, late afternoon. And uh, so I put the sprinkler on, and then I got busy with some other stuff, and I forgot about the sprinkler. And in the morning, when I looked out, the sprinkler was still going. <laughs> and I learned that sprinkling like that leads to a very expensive water bill that's right yeah <laughs> for the for the month oh my god what a mess yeah yeah that that happened to me too this summer i was with a tomato plant i just stuck a hose in a tomato plant and left it running for far too long <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well it, it happens yeah. uh, fertilizer uh, fertilizer, maybe. Now, it's actually not the most important thing for establishing the new seed. The fertilization is something that we look at as more of a long-term strategy. Um, most of our soils have enough phosphorus in them to allow the seeds to, to get started. You can do a soil test if you want, and that will tell you precisely uh, how much or if you need to add uh, any nutrients. But that's that's pretty down far on my list of, um, of things to, to take care of when you're seeding a new area. If you're doing a soil test, though, it's always worth it to mention how that gets done. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, University of Wisconsin Soil Testing Lab uh, is in Madison. They will You can submit a sample. Their forms are available online. Take a soil sample, send it into the lab, and about two weeks later, they'll, they'll run some chemical tests on them, and in about two weeks, you'll have uh, an email that tells you how much nutrients are in your soil, what those levels mean, and how much fertilizer you need to add, if any, to accomplish your goals. Doug Soldat, our guest, talking lawns with him. Questions for him, I hope you'll give a call. The number is 1-800-642-1234, 1-800-642-1234. Or you could email us. The email address, ideas at WPR.org, ideas at WPR.org. And let's take a call. Vicki and Appleton will give you a chance. Thank you for calling. Hi. I have a question, and I was hoping I'd be able to talk to you about this time of year. Because years ago, I heard someone on your show talk about the possibility of eliminating some violets in the lawn. In our neighborhood, we have, well, in the Appleton area, we have clay soil, 
on top of limestone, but it's basically clay soil. And my lawn is under oak trees, so um, it's tough. Lots of shade. Well, yes, they're they're old oak trees. You know, it's yeah. better than a maple, but... Um, so what's happening is the violets are moving in. There's clover that's moved in, too, but it's staying in the sunny part, and the violets are more in the in the shady part. Yeah. And is there a way to thin them? <laughs> I don't want it to. It would be fine if they all went away. But... <laughs> Yeah. What yeah. can I do about this? Yeah. So um, the the optimal time to control wild violets uh, is uh, in the fall now. So these uh, uh, these plants take the sugars that they're photosynthesizing, they transport it down into their root system, the tubers, and um, that's why if you do apply an herbicide, it will absorb that and also translocate it down into the tuber. Uh, which is its energy storage system. So that's why fall is a good time if you if you are trying to use chemicals to eradicate the violets. Uh, the best um, type of wild violets are difficult to control. Um, some people, in, I also say that some people enjoy them. And, yeah, and they I can are, like They're definitely myself. one of the plants that's not very high up on the list of like uh, in, environmentally damaging weeds. Um and so, but a, an herbicide containing the active ingredient triclopyr, which is a conventional herbicide, but it has a very low toxicity profile. So in terms of uh, safety, environmental toxicology, it's, it's uh, one of the safer products on the market. Um, so it's triclopyr. It's also the same one that we often recommend for ground ivy, uh, which is an, or creeping charlie, another very difficult to control weed. So an application uh, around this time of the year or even into October will be the ideal time. Um, probably won't get full control, but it sounds like that's not what you're completely interested in. The other thing I'll say is just, in general, the, the best thing you can do to, to minimize weed encroachment is to have a dense grass cover. And so when you're ta talking about oak shade, uh, fine fescue is a wonderful grass to, to live in the oak shade. So if you can pick up some fine fescue seed, uh, get that worked into the existing area, especially the thin areas, that will also help to keep uh, violets and other weeds uh, from in from invading further. Yeah, good tips. Vicki, thank you so much, and good luck uh, with your lawn. Uh, John in Madison, we'll go to you. Hi, John. Hello. Uh, I've got a question. I've got a 30-year-old lawn with a lot of thatch in it. And I'm, I'm trying to find someone to dethatch, but no, none of the commercial services dethatch. They all say that I should be use, I should aerate and seed over the top, but the thatch layer is, is very thick. And I'm just wondering if I need to get that uh, thatch out of there before I would aerate. Yeah, thatch is it's a the reason that a lot of commercial companies don't offer it anymore is mm. it's it's a de, it's been a decreasing problem uh, for for folks although it still can happen and and thatch is sort of an accumulation of the woody uh, uh, high lignin content parts of the plant that builds up over time um, it's not always the case but usually when you see high thatch you start to think of too much fertilization has been going on so it'd be one thing i'd ask you to to consider is like am, am i over fertilizing this lawn or can i cut back in any way um but that said yeah renting a a, a de-thatch rake um at a at a rental center is is they're easy to operate and they're much easier than an aerator so you can pick one of these up rent them 
Uh, we use them all the time at our research center uh, and and run through the lawn. It, now is a great time to do it because the grass is resilient. It's a good time for it to regrow because it, it will end up looking like you've done a lot of damage. You know, you yeah. might at the end of it, you might be like, oh my gosh, did I just kill my whole lawn? No, it'll grow back now, uh, but it'll bring up a lot of that thatch to the surface, which you'll rake off um, and you can compost it or bring it to a landfill. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the strategy for, for dethatching. And it, it would be important if you have, you know, about an inch of thatch is where we start to get concerned. Um, because, and, and let me just expand on that. When you have thatch, the roots preferentially just live in that thatch layer. So you don't, you don't get the deeper rooting, you get more, uh, less resistance to disease and, and drought and things like that. So that's one of the reasons we do like to control thatch on occasion. Yeah. And that would be good for, uh, you know, saving that off to the side. I mean, I think in a compost, yeah, that's kind of gray stuff, isn't it? It's all dead. So that's the brown, that would be the brown part of a of a, uh, a system that you're putting together. Exactly, yeah. Right, so you can mix it in. It would be similar to maybe tree leaves in a, in a mm-hmm. composting system. Yeah, it would. John, good luck with that. Thanks a lot for calling. Let's, uh, well, we'll get to Jim in Milwaukee in just a minute, but a reminder, our guest today, Doug Soldat, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison. Sarah, <clears throat> excuse me, Sarah Hopeful, our engineer today, Jill Nadeau, our producer. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. We're taking a look at your lawn on the program today with our guest, Doug Soldat, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison. He specializes in lawn and soil and water, so it's great to have him with us, and I hope you'll join him with your own questions. Number to call, 1-800-642-1234, or email to ideas at wpr.org, and we'll get you on pretty quickly. Jim in Milwaukee, we go to you next. Hi, Jim. Hi, how you doing? Good, appreciate the call. What's on your mind? Well, I came up with one question before, and now I actually have two, so maybe uh, uh, it'll be helpful for uh, listeners to hear both answers. The first question is I cut down a, I got a property, it's on a corner, and I cut down a, a tall pine tree, so I get a little bit more sun now in this one area, but there's still a maple tree there, and I've trimmed up the the, the, the low um, branches and such, but there's still an area that's kind of shady, and I want to know what's the best grass to plant there because I got a big bare spot around that under that tree and then the second question is uh, a lot of people walk pets right along this corner and so the side the the grass between the city sidewalk and the curb uh, gets a lot of pet urine and uh, I'm wondering about patching that and if if you know of any way to deter dogs from (laughs) being there that would be great so those are the two questions I asked all right thanks Jim yeah, that's good. So um, the shade. Let's start with the shade one. Uh, maple shade is is really really dense, and it's one where I don't expect a ton of success, even if you've done some of the things you've talked about. So you know, creating a like a landscaped area underneath the tree, kind of a buffer zone where you might plant hostas or some other shade loving uh, plant, would be an option that I'd keep in mind. That said, if you if you do want to go with grasses, the best uh, grass for a maple shade is going to be a chewing's fescue. So this is, I've, I referred to earlier, the fine fescues as a group of these. The best one for shade is chewing's fine fescue, um, and that will have the, the best chance of success underneath a maple tree. But again, that said, it still may, may be too much shade for even that grass. 
Um, but that's those are your best two options. Second the, question. Yeah, the pets. The pets. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, tall fescue is a not a fine fescue. So, you know, it has that same fescue word in it. But tall fescue is kind of what I call the dog park grass. It is a little bit tougher in the soils in those uh, areas between the street and the sidewalk tend to be very poor. Tall fescue is a grass that does well in those soils. Um, it's not it probably won't be completely resistant to dog urine burn. Um, but it's probably your best option. So tall fescue for that area. Uh, it, it's a tougher looking grass. It's one that some people think looks like a weed, but if, if that's your issue, tall fescue might be your best bet. And I will say, uh, I walk my dog around my neighborhood. Some of my neighbors put little signs saying like, please don't pee here. Um, yeah. and, and I don't, if my dog, if my dog wants to I say, oh, let's move on and, and to another spot. So that might be an option too, if it's really, uh, bothering you. What I did, I planted a kind of a prairie mixture there, um, blue stem and so forth. And, um, you know, those grow up and the dogs leave them alone. Yeah. They don't go in there because it's kind of, it's tall. Too tall. Too tall. Too tall. That's another way, Jim. Thanks a lot for calling. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's go to Daryl in West Salem next. Hi, Daryl. Well, good morning, Larry. Morning. How are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Super. Well, the question I have is, we had some hail damage on some trees, so I had a tree service in my yard, driving with a skid loader and a stump grinder and a cherry picker. So I have kind of ruts in the yard itself, and then there's spots of, you know, bare turf. Can a person just reseed that, or should we should we try to push the ruts down, or what's the best way to proceed on something like that? Hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it de- it depends a bit on the scale of the ruts, but in general, you know, it you know you're you're obviously thinking about it and called into the show on it. it, it you have you you have to smooth them out. Um, you got a lot of compaction there at the low end of the rut, which is kind of forced up that high area and then run over that with the mower. It's likely going to scalp it, run into it. So I, I had this happen too when they're installing, I think, um, internet fiber in my backyard and I ended up, uh, killing, killing the grass and then re tilling it and re-leveling everything. So it's a lot of work, but that's probably the, the best solution when you do have deep ruts to deal with. Um, another, a lower input option would be to bring in topsoil into the rutted area and bring that up to a level. Um, and that, that can also be successful if, if, uh, kind of a complete, more complete renovation isn't on the menu for you. Yeah. And throw some seed down then or? Yeah. Just throw some seed. Even on the, the high ends of the rut, you can still put a, a small covering, covering of the topsoil onto that. Um, you will get some regrowth, so uh, so some of that grass will will come back and grow through the topsoil you put down. But yeah, I would put put topsoil down, seed into it, mulch it, um, if you don't want to uh, kill the grass and, and re-level everything. And then if you've got the he's Daryl's got that bare spot, uh, which doesn't sound like it was rutted, just work that up a little bit and throw some seed in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So loosen. One of the most important aspects of establishing grass is the seed to soil contact. So if you just put seed on top of bare soil, it chances of it working is almost zero. So work it up till it loosen it up, put the seed down, rake it into the top 
a quarter inch or so and then step on it, you do want to provide a little bit of light compaction to get that, we call it seed to soil contact. And that's the, that's the main recipe for success. All right, Daryl. Hope that helps. Thank you so much for calling. Let's go to uh, Judy and Custer next. Hi, Judy. Hi, Larry. I'm calling because I've been gradually reseeding my lawn with Dutch clover or micro clover. And I had to do it because the the grass was just gradually dying from in, in big clumps. And, of course, the weeds came in and reseeding didn't work. So I have tried micro clover and it has worked beautifully, except I have this problem. There was a whole big patch, nice patch of micro clover, all blooming white. And now, even though I water it a lot or enough, um, now it, it isn't there anymore. And instead, of I, I have wood sorrel growing up. And I'm wondering whether, I, I think that clover is perennial. It has been everywhere else. And I don't know, do you think the heat made it go dormant? That's a, I'm really glad you brought this up. Our research group has been doing a ton of work with microclover, incorporating clover into lawns. And this is something we've observed too. So we don't, we haven't been studying clover long enough to have all the, the kinks worked out. And, and we've seen some years, it's like the, the area that we planted seems to be dominated by clover. And then other years, it's like, where did the clover go? So there, there's, there's these natural ebbs and flows to the clover population over time. And I think the way that we're thinking about it now is yes, clover is a perennial, but because it's it's a managed system, and so now would be a good time for you to seed clover into these areas where it seemed to have thinned out for some reason. So, just like our lawns, we have to manage our lawns. Clover is a as a component of a lawn likely needs to be managed too, and I think the the recommendation I have for you is is just have a supply of that micro clover, and when you start to see areas thinning with it, just reseed into those areas and and help. Uh, encourage it to fill back in. Well, there you go, Judy. Thank you so much uh, for calling. Appreciate it. Mark in New Glarus emailed. He he wonders if brown grass that looks dead is actually dead or is it just dormant? His lawn certainly looked dead in July, but it bounced back with a couple of good rains. Oh, absolutely. This is the this is like the biggest. <clears throat> um, misconception about lawns is that they can't go brown or they're dead if they're brown so you know the this year we had a pretty severe drought and um you know i've been doing this for for 15 20 years and it never was on my radar of like oh this is going to be a problem but i answered so many questions from the media and, and homeowners over email like what should i do what should i do it's like no no nothing just enjoy the fact that you don't have to mow your lawn for the next couple weeks at least <laughs> Um, grasses have evolved a strategy to, uh, to, to deal with this. And if you just think about the United States as a country, as you, if you drive west of, of Wisconsin, you see fewer and fewer trees and more and more grasses in nature, the, the landscape. And that's because grasses can tolerate extended periods of dry soil and no rain. But they, they let their leaves go and they, they maintain their, we call it the crown. That's the growing point of the grass. That stays alive and it just needs a tiny bit of water and it can survive usually six, eight weeks with absolutely no rain. Um, so that's what we saw this year. Many, many brown lawns, uh, rains came back and now I, you know, most of the lawns have, have completely greened up again. Yeah. Uh, Jay in Two Rivers has uh, a comment or question. Let's go there. Hi, Jay. Good morning. I'll stay on the line if you have any questions um, back to me. 
I've been taking care of our lawn successfully for the last 40 years, but this year I've run into a problem, and I'm wondering if it's the grass seed I'm using. We restrict our dog to the backyard um, and um, water the areas she uses quite well, and that's pretty successful. But, of course, we can't watch her all the time. So oh, about monthly I have to go out and um, reseed various dead spots. Um, I followed the directions that you had on earlier, and um, I, um, I'm having problems with the seeds either not germinating or the grass that does germinate, it's rather sparse. Um, but I noticed on, on the package of fresh seeds, and it's the same brand I've used for years, only half of it is actually grass seed, 20% uh, uh, tall fescue, 20% rye, rye grass, and 10% uh, bluegrass. But 50% of it must be this uh, water guard coating. It's a thick blue coating. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm wondering if um, that's got something to do with the fact that uh, even though I, I keep it moist and water it once it's germinated, um, or if there's something else maybe going on. Hmm. Yeah. Good. Good questions. Good observations. Um, many. So the seed supply in the United States is has been under pressure and relatively low. And one of the tricks that um, these companies will do to so that that we don't have absolutely no seed on the shelf is that they add these additives. So it's kind of like shrinkflation, if you've heard that, where things are getting smaller. There's less seed in the bag, but that by adding these additives like the water guard or there's many out there, they are supposed to increase the chance of that seed survival. Um, so that's the theory behind that. A uh, couple thoughts. Um, number one, I can't think of a a more challenging year for those patched grasses to work than we just had with that extended period of drought, high temperatures. When we had rain, we had big washout style rains. Um, and I, I'll tell you as a turf grass researcher professional, every time I seed, I'm humbled. And I know that there is a chance that my seeding, even if I follow all the directions, is going to fail. And I always have still a little sense of joy when it doesn't fail. So um, Mother Nature is fickle, and these are biological systems, and sometimes it all doesn't work. So it could just be that. You just had some bad luck. Um, the The next thing is that there there is less seed there, so there could actually be a problem with the seed. And seed lots have different uh, success rates. So the the just like a bottle of wine might be better or worse from year to year, batches of seeds can have more or less success. So there, there could be some natural variability in there. I don't think that, um, I don't have any specific suggestions for you other than don't give up, try a different brand, um, keep doing mm -hmm. what you're doing. But I, I, but just recognize that these are probably natural fluctuations and not something more systemic. Yeah. Jay, there you go. Thank you so much uh, for calling. You can join in to a number to call 800-642-1234. Email to ideas at WPR.org. Janet in Madison, thank you for calling. Hi, I live in Madison on a corner lot. There's no curb and gutter, and I had some pretty significant plow damage over the winter. So the city of Madison came 
and repaired that corner of my lot. They built it up beautifully with some dirt and they put seed on it and I watered it faithfully <laughs> and it all came up and it looks horrible. It's, it looks like quack grass. I don't know what kind it is, but it's definitely not what is in my lawn. It's very broad and spiky. And so now my question is, if I want it to look like the rest of the lawn, do I have to pull it out or do I just sprinkle some better seed like you mentioned earlier, Kentucky bluegrass, Klein fescue? What do I do with it? I, it yeah. Yeah. Um, could be crabgrass. There's a, it, it could be a man, many things. It doesn't sound like it's anything that you definitely, that you want. So quackgrass, crabgrass could be a sedge. Um, chances are it came in with the topsoil. So, um, the seeding likely failed or wasn't strong enough to outcompete the existing pressure of weeds that were in the topsoil, which is a very common problem. Um, hand pulling. I mean, yeah, so basically you have to start over and whatever that means for you, you could cover it with black plastic and just, uh, let it heat up and whatever's there will die. Um, you could use a, uh, chemical non-selective, uh, herbicide like roundup to kill the area you could hand pull everything but basically you want to get down to bare soil and you do want to reseed it and now is the perfect time to do that um, i don't think that if you don't if you don't eliminate the weeds that are there in one of those three methods i suggested you're not going to have success with your with your seeding so that you do want to get rid of whatever is existing and now is the perfect time. Exactly. And and, that, and if you get a good uh, establishment with the grasses that you want to plant, um, you're going to have a lot of success that will carry over into next year. Good luck, Jana. Thank you for calling. Ellen, in the Osho, we go to you next. Hi, Ellen. Good morning, Larry and guest. Um, I have what I believe is some type of invasive grass in my lawn, and my biggest concern is that it's starting to grow into my horse pasture and displace the pasture grass. It looks like tiny bamboo. It's very bushy and soft and dense. It seeds profusely, and it's kind of pretty, but as I say, it's extremely invasive, and I'm worried about what this is and how I might get rid of it. Mm. Mm, that's that's uh i don't actually don't have any real firm guesses right now on the air but i will say that um if you can take some pictures of it and you can uh you can email those to me at d j s o l d a t at whisk.edu i can do my best to to try to diagnose it for you um and and figure out why it might be spreading and and what you might do to to slow the spread. I'm trying. I can't come up with a. Yeah, when I, when she said bamboo, I kind of say I, I don't know that anything comes off the top of my head with what that could be. Not the way it looks. Not the way she describes it. Doesn't sound like bamboo. Yeah. Um. So it's D J Soldat D J S O L D A T at Whisk, W-I-S-C dot E-D-U. Yeah. So get a picture. Mail it in. <laughs> we'll take a look, yeah. We'll take a look. Nancy, uh, thanks, Ellen. Nancy in Wausau, on to you now. Hi. Hi, Larry. I have a yard that it has a lot of pine trees, and part of my soil is um, there really isn't very good soil, Um it um and it's very weedy and it has this weed that has a real fine 
blue flower on it. And you see them along the road a lot of times. Um, but the only thing that I've done so far is just pulling them. That's what I've done all summer long. And it doesn't seem, I mean, they, they multiply like rabbits. <laughs> are they kind of long, so, viney when you pull them, or are the... the they're real close to the ground, and they're, uh, the roots are probably, can be like five, six inches long. Mm. Um, and I know we need to fertilize because our soil, or our, the grass is poor, and I'm thinking that's because of the pine trees, the evergreens. But the weeds themselves. Yes. Um, really, really common problem because grass, like the grasses that we have evolved in full sun areas. So when we try to, we, we humans love shade and trees. So we try to marry those two environments that, that don't uh, have a lot of compatibility. And that's usually the start of the problem. So, um, the there's a couple options here so i think the i think the weed you're describing is creeping charlie or ground ivy if it's low growing and you can pull it up and it's got little purple flowers um that's the most common uh lawn weed that we find in shady areas um that can be controlled but it it comes back in these shady areas so it's kind of a uh you know that's what that's the conditions it likes so she I will, says it isn't Oh, it's not. It's not ground ivy. Okay. The other the only purple roadside weed that I could think of is chicory. Um, I'm not sure if that meets the description. But let's just say that <clears throat> it's likely that the you know the best defense against uh, weeds or plants that you don't want is a dense lawn. And so you, you don't have that right now. And so we think about what are the things you can do. And one of those would be to plant a grass like Chewing's Fescue, which is... Uh, very well adapted to Wisconsin shade, pine tree shade should be fine. So if you can get uh, a nice seed bed prepared and plant a nice dense cover of Chewing's Fescue. Uh, Chewing's Fescue also contains, um, uh, it has chemical defenses against weeds. So you, even when we have areas of Chewing's Fescue that thin out, other weeds tend to not invade because of, of that mechanism. So it's a really, really good shade grass for for poor soils in Wisconsin. So that's what I would work on establishing in those areas. Um, and you'll, you'll likely see improvement from there. Yeah. There you go, Nancy. Good luck. Appreciate the call. Uh, Gabrielle in uh, Milwaukee. We go to you next. Hi, Gabrielle. Hi, how are you all doing today? Great. Appreciate the call. What's on your mind? Thank you. Well, I have um, a question about uh, fescue or no mow grasses. We, took out a large portion of um, property that was wooded and all the um, emerald ash trees that have died. And then we, you know, took out the stumps. And so the landscaper suggested planting no mow or fescue grass in there and maybe cutting it um, twice a summer. But I noticed it's now a lot of weeds are coming up in that area. And I kind of was under the impression I wouldn't really have to do much with that grass, but do I need to treat it? Uh, during the summer for weeds? 
Yeah, great question. I'm glad you brought this up. And we've been talking about fine fescues and chewing fescue. Those are all going to be in these no-mo or low-mo mixes. Um, they can be mowed. And in fact, one of the best uh, herbicides or one of the best ways to keep weeds out of a grass situation is to mow. There's only a handful of weeds that can really tolerate regular mowing. And so when you plant a no-mow grass and you don't mow it, there are lots of weeds that are either in the seed bank or they blew into this bare soil area that get established. And, and usually by mowing frequently early on, that's one way to, to, get, to give the grass an advantage. So I would recommend to anybody that's establishing a no-mow mix is to mow it frequently for the first year. And then after it's established and there are very few weeds left, you can go to the mow it once or twice a year situation. But if you don't do that, you're not going to have that that dense cover of the no-mow grasses. So it's a bit of a contradiction that early on you want to regularly mow these areas to keep these weeds out that normally would die from mowing. Um, does that make sense? So what do I do now? Yeah, mow it down. <laughs> Some of these I would start, I would start mowing it, and you're going to find that I think a lot of those weeds, and I don't know exactly what they are, but most weeds can't tolerate regular mowing. So I just treat it like a normal lawn right now. And, and then once you start to see, hey, it looks like a normal lawn, then you can go back to a reduced mowing schedule. But to control the weeds, I my first recommendation is just mow it regularly. Right through the fall. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There, there you go, Gabrielle. Good luck. Thank you. John in Kakana, on to you. Hi, John. Hi. Um, hey, I have a question I'd like to know. I've got some uh, dead spots in my lawn. It can be a foot square to several feet square. And uh, some of them have weeds in them, and some of it is bare. And I was just wondering if there is any weed killer that I can put on and, and kill these weeds that are growing in these spots. And then when the weeds are dead, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, till up the lawn and plant some more grass seed right there. Uh, I know some of those weed killers say, oh, you can plant after everything's dead, you know, you can plant over this but i just don't know if that's really true or not um for the scale that you're describing the tillage is going to do it so just like get in there with a with a shovel or however you're going to till it and those that will take care of those weeds and that's like even in organic farming systems where chemical uh herbicides are not allowed that's how the farmers address the weed encroachment is just regular tilling um, and so that's that, that if you were, you, and you mentioned kind of doing that already, just do that now and th that'll rip those up. They'll dry out and you won't have to even deal with, a uh, a chemical herbicide. There are, to answer your question, yes, there are, uh, herbicides that you could use to, to combat those weeds, but they, t uh, for many of the summer annual weeds, um, like crabgrass, really, really ineffective. They're better when the weeds are small in these bare patches. So for me, uh, on average, for what, I, what I'm imagining, uh, tillage is going to be your best bet. Just get in there and work up the soil. John, good luck. Thank you so much for calling. Doug Soldat, our guest today, lawn specialist, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network.
Taking a look at your lawn on Garden Talk today on the show, Larry Mueller here with my guest Doug Soldat, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison. Great to have you listening in. Give a call at 800-642-1234 or email to ideas at WPR.org. Tom in Wausau uh, wanted to mention that bam- that bamboo-like plant could be Japanese knotweed. It's different when it gets in a lawn and gets cut. And Bill in Oregon says it might be horsetail. <laughs> could be. That's right. It's always the problem with uh, yeah. Without the photos. Without the photos, yeah, that, those seem but, possible. Yeah, possible. they do seem like possibilities. Um, Mark and Winnicott emailed. They used to live in a house that had one side of the house with a couple of oak trees, so a lot of shade. After two or three years of dormant seeding shade mixed grass seed, they got a nice patch of lawn. He heard dormant seeding is quite a risk, but after trying in season seeding for several years, the dormant seeding technique worked for him. Yeah, dormant seeding, it, it is a risk, but it, it can be successful. And just like I, I mentioned earlier, like every every seeding is a risk, and, every, and there's uh, chances of failure all the time, and, and trying new things is uh, definitely something you should do if you've, if you've had failures another way. Let's go to Steve in Black River Falls. Steve, hi, thank you for calling. Hey, Hey, Larry. Hey, Doug. Um, thanks for taking my call. I've recently seeded an area up here, which is kind of a sandy area with new lawn, and it came in quite nicely, but accidentally got uh, dropped in some areas with some granular herbicide by a local farmer, and I've been trying to uh, reseed those areas and just wondering if that... Uh, area is going to be receptive to, to new grass seed. These are spotty areas. I'm just wondering how long it might be before those areas are receptive. And do you know the type of herbicide that was applied? My guess it was a Roundup because it was for corn or soybean in the area. Yeah. Yeah. So, so m- most areas killed by, um, Roundup can be reseeded almost immediately. The label will give an interval, and I can't remember off the top of my head what that is. So, um, but you could check that. I, I've seen a lot of studies that have looked at it for for grasses, and and basically, yeah, if it, if it is Roundup, you can reseed with no worries. Um, but this is a anytime. granular. Is Roundup a granular? I, yeah, I not that I not that not I'm that I of. know of. Yeah. If it, but the the granular, I mean, the, the concern is if it was a pre-emergent. So there are a class wow. of herbicides out there that are designed to prevent seeds from establishing. And if that's the case, um, then you'd be looking at usually six to eight weeks before grass seed would germinate. But, um, you know, so that's the factor. Most herbicides that are used that would kill the grass go ahead and reseed should be no problem. But if it was a pre-emergent uh, special class of herbicides, you you would have a waiting period and look, likely be into next um, next season. Before next you, season. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Steve. Thank you. Uh, Bonnie, in Oconomowoc, we go to you next. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. 
I have a question about how to control um, mushrooms or fungus that's growing in the lawn. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, the occasional mushroom that pops up after a rain. This occurred um, even when it, there were high drought conditions. And it, it, there's patches like maybe six inches across and there may be four to six inches tall. So the question is how to eradicate those safely and effectively and then what to do about reseeding. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have a real easy answer. I, the What's happening there is there's a fungus that's attacking organic matter buried below and those the mushrooms are the fruiting body, the reproductive structure of the of the fungus. So the fungus is really happy down there. It's chewing on some old roots of a tree or something that's decaying, and it's and then it's saying, okay, we, we can spread out. We got so many resources here. Um, there, to my knowledge, there is absolutely nothing you can do to to control for that. That's a, you're going to have to wait until that uh, that food source is gone. Uh, you can go on. You can if the area is thin. So the fungus, the mushrooms, aren't uh, thinning the lawn. So if the lawn is thin, you can go on top of that and 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 thicken it up by you know reseeding into this fall. But in terms of preventing the mushrooms from coming up, there's nothing that I know of that you can do other than just wait out the decomposition that's happening below ground. Hmm. All right, um, mow it down in the meantime. Yeah, knock them down, knock the structures down. But um, as far as doing something physical or chemical, uh, nothing that I know of. Uh, several or a number of people have called uh, wondering the, if you could spell the name of that fescue for shade. Oh, yeah, chewing's fescue. It's a, it's a funny word, but just chewing, like you're chewing food with an S at the end. So chewing's fine fescue is a very shade tolerant uh, subspecies of fine fescue all right on to dave and beloit dave hi hi larry what can we do for you <clears throat> well i just got a comment first the lady that called in about some invasive stuff getting into her lawn i think it might be what i call horsetail it looks like bamboo it comes apart in little sections when you pull it apart uh, if it's if it's kind of wet and stuff, that stuff will get started and it's hard to get rid of. Uh, the other question I have is I've got a pasture. It's got a lot of ragweed in it. If I mow it now, is now the time to mow the ragweed? Um, oh, so I'm not a pasture specialist. Uh, I think so. Just generally, what I know about weeds is yeah, you want you want to mow you want to mow that down before it goes to seed. And so if if that's flowering that's the time to do it uh if, if you allow it to go to seed then that seed will uh, yeah will hit the soil so i believe so yes there you go dave thank you uh kevin in richfield your turn hi kevin hi larry doug um i'm on a battle against nimble wheel or nimble weed in my lawn and i've tried the certainty i believe is the name of the selective herbicide that is supposed to be one of the only things that'll kill nimbleweed and i haven't had very good luck am i kind of left with just rounduping the huge area and starting over um i'll have one more suggestion for you before you do that so nimble will is the is the weed that you're talking about it's um difficult to control it's a warm season uh grass I would recommend uh, uh, an herbicide called um, 
tenacity, which is mesotrione is the active ingredient. And it's a, it's a, it's a natural product. This is one of the very low ecological risk products on the market. It's derived from the bottle brush plant, but it turns things white. So it'll turn the nimble wheel white and it will require repeat applications. But, um, I've seen success with tenacity or mesotrione on nimble wheel. So you want to give that a try. If that fails, then I do think that, um, kind of, yeah. Round up reseeding is the next next thing to try. Kevin, good luck. Uh, appreciate your call. And Bill and Racine, hi. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking the call. That's for sure. Anyways, uh, my lawn, uh, the front yard's fine. The backyard, I'm having a problem, and the problem is, I had uh, you know creeping uh, Charlie and regular weeds or whatever. And then I hired, I've hired a firm to come in, a weed and feed fella, and he sprayed, he did spray it, and, you know, it's the creeping Charlie, not taken care of, but it's under control, but he said his weed and feed does not, the weed does not kill crabgrass, or is is it also quack grass? Is that another grass that's around? Quack grass, So yeah. my question. Quack with a Q? Yeah. Quack grass. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quack grass is uh, notoriously difficult to control, and there are no uh, chemical herbicides that will target the quack grass without killing the the desirable lawn grasses. Um, Things that you can do to, to, if you do have a quack grass infestation, are just uh, higher maintenance. So mow your lawn a little bit shorter. Uh, fertilize about three times per year, and that tends to drive the quackgrass out. Quackgrass likes really low-maintenance situations. You find it in a lot of roadside ditches. But as, as soon as you start to maintain your lawn at a little bit higher level, quackgrass pressure tends to decrease. But chemically, there's almost nothing you can do uh, to control the quackgrass. Bill, thank you for calling. Uh, Ray and Whitewater, your turn. Uh, Roy, excuse me. Hi, Ray. Yeah, hi. My question is less about uh, uh, grasses, but more about soil identification. Having seen uh, it, these incredibly detailed county soil maps in the past, I wondered how in the heck they were ever developed and when, and when using them to assist me. With my, I'm a choose-and-cut Christmas tree grower, and I have certain areas in my fields that seem uh, to be perennially infertile. Would referring to these maps be of uh, assistance to me. And uh, we're going to ponder that, Roy, and you can hang with us if you'd like. Uh, we are going to to be uh, leaving for the moment here. Our guest today, Doug Soldat, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison. Our guest, I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network.
listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mueller here with my guest, Doug Soldat, professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW-Madison, a turf specialist extraordinaire, and great to have him back. You can join in. Number to call is 800-642-1234, or you could email us at ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. When we broke for news, uh, Roy from Whitewater was on. Roy's a Christmas tree farmer. And wondering about soils maps. Would soils maps, how are they put together, and would they help him determine how best to, to um, what to do in various areas of his uh, tree farm? Yeah, this is one of my absolute favorite topics. It, it blows people away when they learn about the existence of these soil maps. So the, uh, Roy mentioned the, every county in Wisconsin and the U.S. Uh, has detailed maps of all the soils. And you can open it up and you can find your house and it can tell you about the soil. That's all been migrated online. So you can go to Web Soil Survey. If you just put that into Google or search engine, Web Soil Survey, it'll be the first hit. And it's a, it's a fairly complex website to navigate, as you might imagine. But there's tutorials, and, and you, can, you can play around and figure it out. And it can tell you almost everything you want to know about your soil. And I think Roy's question was like, how the heck do we know all this? And <laughs> I have a picture I show in my intro soils class of uh, a horse-drawn cart that a soil scientist is going around in the 1800s sampling soils uh, by horse and buggy. And that's been happening in this country at a wide scale for, uh, for a very, very long time. And now, of course, it's all moved to there's a lot of digital aspects to it. But we still have, of all, all the nations on Earth, we have the best, uh, most high-resolution soil mapping by far. And so you can find it all at Web Soil Survey. Um, question, his qu- other question was like, what do I do with this information? Can I make judgments about how to manage the soil? Absolutely. And that's what it's for. It's for you to learn about the different soils on your property. And there are many soils, uh, Wisconsin alone has over 700 different types of soil and those soils, uh, require different, different management. It's a really, really remarkable resource. Uh, I'm glad Roy called with that. I think it's the first time we've ever had that on the show. Yeah. That's that's wonderful, Roy. I thank you so much uh, for that question. Appreciate it very much, uh, Brad in Door County. We'll give you a chance. Hi, Brad. Hello. I've got a grub troubles, and uh, due to the lack of rain over the summer, kind of a combo. So lots of grub damage, dead lawn weeds, so on and so forth, planning on aerating and then overseeding and treating grubs, probably treating grubs, then aerating, then overseeding. Anything else I should do? And what, can, do I have to take that dead soil up or can I just aerate it and overseed? Yeah, pro- if, if it is dead, um, aerating will create enough disturbance where you can see reseed into it. Um, and so you, or just tilling the dead area will will be sufficient um well i will say something about the grub strategy though grub it it does vary depending on the exact species of grub so we always want to make sure that you have the grubs identified and the insect diagnostic lab down here at uw madison is excellent for that but in general the most common white grubs japanese beetle and it has a life cycle where right now these grubs are actually too big to control they are 
big and fat and they're chewing on the roots and they're preparing to overwinter. And what will happen is they'll emerge um, as adults next uh, summer. And then they'll lay eggs, and that's the actual time you want to control is when they're doing they're laying the next generation, uh, and that's usually around the 4th of July. And so that's when grub control is going to be most effective. Anything you do now is just going to uh, – is not likely to, to, be to a solve waste. the problem. It'll be a waste. Um, so that's the bad news on the grub control. But, yeah, absolutely, go reseed. Um, the, the grubs that are in your lawn now are actually not going to do too much more damage for the rest of the season. Um, so it'll be more about controlling them next July. Brad, thank you very much for calling. Dale, who's in the Hayward Spooner area. Hi, Dale. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you taking my call. I cut a large area of pine trees this past year, uh, large meaning somewhere around 25 acres, and I'll be planting uh, warm season grasses, little big blue stem Indian grass, uh, switchgrass back in there um, this coming spring after it warms up. And my question is, what is the what is the work I need to do? What's the best way to have success in those slow establishing grasses? Ooh, that's a good question. It's something I don't, ha- I don't have a ton of experience with establishing warm season prairies. And I want to make sure that you get the best information because you're dealing with a 25 acre area. Um, and so you know, without providing too much information about the steps, I want you to get in contact with me and I can direct you to the appropriate resources because that is a large project that you that you don't want to to get wrong. And preparation preparation is really important. Uh, you know, Prairie Nursery has got some great information on it too. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking, you want to know what the, the soil properties are and if you need to um, adjust any, uh, any pH levels and what your organic matter level is. So it's a, it, it's definitely something of that scale that we just don't want to throw, throw out some answers and say good luck to you. Yeah. And you want to be rid of plants that are there. Uh, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of work in the beginning on something like that, but if you do it right, it's going to work. Yeah. And that seed is expensive too. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, we've got, um, Bruce emailed, uh, to ask how he should water after the seeds germinated and is growing well. What should he do now? How often should he water? Should he keep it moist or allow it to dry out? Love that question. Um, yeah, so initially we said when you're trying to germinate <clears throat> the seed, you want to water lightly just to keep the surface moist um, morning, noon, and night, ideally. <clears throat> Once the grass goes up, the roots start going down. And if you keep it, if you keep the surface too wet, the roots are going to preferentially stay near the surface, which we don't want. So I say about after the time you mow the grass, the first mowing is when you can start irrigating it uh at much lower frequencies and in at this point in the year you might be able to stop that completely and that that will send the roots down deeper in search of water deeper in the soil profile um and eventually will we we go to this one inch of water per week so it's a rough estimate and it's probably on the high side but if you get an inch of rain a week you don't need to 
you don't need to do any supplemental irrigation at all. The, I'll say this. The, the, one of the most common problems we see with lawns is people that over-irrigate. Keeping it too wet causes a lot more problems than it solves. So go on the, again, grasses are tolerant to drought. Don't be afraid to, to get things on the dry side. That's generally better for the agronomic health of the plant. Good advice. Let's go to Chris in Altoona next. Hi, Chris. Good morning. Yes, I have a question. Um, I had someone come out and look at my lawn. Um, it looks like it was killed with all the heat and dryness we had this spring. But in looking at it, it's really matted, just crushed, matted looking. Um, he said that usually when you pick up a mat of dry grass like that, if the, there are no roots, a lot of times that means you have a fungus or mold or something because dry lawn will come back that maintains a root and when you water it it'll start growing again so i guess my question is if what do you feel on this yeah uh review and what should i do yeah so i would i don't think it's a fungus there are very few lawn fungus uh that will absolutely obliterate a, a grass to the point where there's no roots it could be that it was a type of grass and i'm thinking maybe creeping bent grass that has very shallow roots it likes to mat up and would absolutely get killed by the heat and the drought that we experienced um it could be a grub issue but uh, w whatever the issue is you want to have like if you know search for grubs if there's no grubs then you can rule that out um, my guess, though, is that it probably was a different type of grass that had shallow rooting and didn't survive the heat and drought. I've seen a couple instances of this already. And so I think you can just go ahead and, and, and prepare the area and seed it right about now and uh, with fine fescue and Kentucky bluegrass. And that, um, that basically that problem has been solved for you. Uh, creeping and that's in the sun, too. Yeah, yeah. So that, that full sun, that heat and drought, if you had creeping bentgrass there, it probably would have taken it out and given it a very matted, uh, low-rooting appearance. There you, there you go, Chris. Thank you very much for uh, calling. Uh, Julie in Baraboo, we'll go to you now. Hi, Julie. Hi. This goes along with the call previously. Of our, our lawn has way too much thatch, and it's quite a, a large area. Where we live, I don't think we'll be able to rent a beef thatcher. So I, I guess I've got kind of multiple questions here. Is there a particular beef thatcher he would recommend that we buy? Not necessarily a brand, but but I didn't know if they do different types of beef thatching. And then would we overseed right after that? And then I, I, I don't recall what is what is the term when they take the plugs out? I Sorry, I've forgotten that, but do we do that then? Sort of what would the sequence be? Because we have a severe thatch problem, and where we live, there aren't even that many, you know, lawn companies. We haven't found anybody that would be thatched, so I think we're going to have to buy something. Yeah, you know, if you, you're in Baraboo, so we can drive into um... – a rental center is several in Madison and, and it's, these things are about the size of a push lawnmower, the ones that I have in mind. And they have, uh, an ax, uh, an axle in the middle that is attached to these little iron blades that, that spin around vertically and kind of dig into the lawn. 
um, that would be the first choice if you purchased one. You j- I just don't they're, think you'd use it very. No, very they're kind often. of expensive for the amount of use, yeah. which would be once every few years, yeah. maybe. I I, I got to believe there'd be one in Baraboo, but Madison certainly you could. There are rental places in Madison, but I got to believe there's a, yeah a place in Baraboo where you could rent one. You'd be money ahead, believe me. If you rented one, yeah, absolutely. And then the air aeration is the the question you asked about. What's the when mm. they pull the course? Um, you you could do that, but the the um, dethatching process is going to be a very good way to prepare the seed bed already. So so do the dethatching, and then you can add the seed right uh, right on top of that um, because it's going to create disturbance in the soil that that you need for success. So. Aeration, I, I would say, probably doesn't need to be a component of that dethatching step. So I just f- find yourself a, a dethatcher to rent. Um, go ahead and do it nice and aggressive. Put your seed down that you want to establish, and then keep it keep that surface moist while it's uh, while those seeds are germinating. Yeah, I don't know anybody who owns a dethatcher. I don't uh, either. No, <laughs> it's just that I mean, for the few times you have to use one. Julie, thanks for calling. Ron in uh, Pioneer, Missouri. We go to you. Hi, Ron. Thanks, doctors. Uh, what are the shortest lawn lagoons that can survive mowing in the Midwest? And uh, disclosure, in that other millennium, I was a soil scientist and mapped soils in five counties, most of them bordering the Mississippi River. Ah, cool, There Ron. you go. That's great. What was the question? I missed the word. What are the shortest... Lawn. Yeah, uh, lawn lagoons. I already have Ladino white Dutch clover, and this week I recognized it's either common or Korean Lespedeza in my sister's uh, pasture hayfield. It's a tiny plant with tiny purple lavender leaves or uh, flowers. Flowers. The leaves are about the size of a pencil eraser. Oh. And the flowers okay. are about the size of a pencil tip, but it's only like three or four inches above the soil. Could I just? Mow the, if I planted that, could I mow the grass and it would survive? Yeah, right. So the one, I mean, we've, we, our main experience is with white clover. And so there's a variety called micro clover, mini clover. It's a, it's, it's a, just a variety of, of white yes. clover. Um, and you can mow that very, very low. So, I mean, less than an inch, which we would never recommend. Uh, so unfortunately I don't have an, I don't have experience with all the different types of legumes that you could plant with a lawn as a direction our research program is moving but right now strawberry clover white clover are the are the two main ones that we've used and certainly can be both of those can be mowed much shorter than three inches with no problem uh, what flowering plants provide the most food for pollinators including bats and uh, hummingbirds and oh, all the insects yeah i, I mean that's that's also an area that's outside of my area of expertise. Obviously, there are a, a whole host of plants that are providing food at different times, and I think that's the key. Is not just one plant that's going to provide the most food for pollinators. It's a combination of things that are flowering at different times of the year and providing a, a varied food source for the for the the pollinators. But um, you probably have a show on that. Yeah, I've done some there. shows on that, yeah. and there. Um, UW Extension has, uh, and uh, Depart- Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources has a um, 
bulletin, fact sheet, whatever, on pollinating pollinator plants. And that is, uh, you're, you're, Doug's exactly right. The, you need plants that are going to be providing food throughout the year, and there's not one that'll do it. Um, so you, it, I, would, I would go online to UW Extension, uh, or I would go to the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, which has a quite an extensive uh, listing of pollinators. There you go. Ron, thank you. Uh, Dick in Black River Falls, hi. Yeah, I have two questions, and one you just talked about, the thatching. And I didn't catch uh, how often or could you thatch or could you thatch? Ideally, it would be never because we want to prevent that thatch from for- from forming. And I think, you know, what what probably happens is people think, oh, it's fall, I have to thatch. So thatch is a is a fairly unusual problem and i'm i'm a little surprised at how much we've talked about it today um in that you just because there's brown tissue underneath your canopy doesn't mean you have to dethatch. you're looking for like woody almost stemmy uh accumulation of material that sits on top of the soil and below the grass um and so once you do if you go through a dethatching event you could take you could, you might not have to do it for five years, and then if you do have to do it again in five years, I'd say you're probably over fertilizing or the pH of your soil is too low, and there would be some things that you could do management wise to prevent the accumulation of thatch. But accumulation of thatch on itself is something that's pretty unnatural in in most lawns. Definitely not something that I would say is a routine practice that most people need to do regularly. Thanks, Dick, for calling. Bruce emailed, he would like to overseed his lawn with clover, but his wife's worried about bees and especially wasps and hornets. What do you think? Oh, boy. You know, that, that is something that we talk about in, in, in the turf communities, and some people are allergic, and there, and there are implications with that. So it's, it's, a, it's a personal choice. I, I, we've been incorporating clover into our research plots now for six, seven years, and we have not had issues with all, you know, put down clover and all of a sudden there's an influx of, of stinging insects. Um, so yeah, there are, are there going to be more around probably? Is it going to be something that is dramatically different than, than when you're outside? Because clover is, you find it everywhere anyway. Um, so I was out walking this morning, and uh, there was some nice flowers, and I smelled one of the flowers, and then I looked about four inches away was a bee, a bumblebee, taking some nectar, and left me alone, and I left it alone. Yeah, uh, It's the wasps and the hornets in the fall when they get aggressive, but they're not usually after that. They're usually after your can of Coca-Cola or something. Right, right. Um Ron in Lacrosse, uh, your turn. Hi, Ron. Yeah, I got a question. I have a sprinkler system. Of course, I use city water, and uh, of course, the city puts chlorine in it and even fluoride. And I think it has a high pH. There's quite a bit of lime, I think, in it. Hard water. So I just wonder how does that affect the soil and any grass or clover seed I might have put in, which I did. 
Uh, good news for you. It's totally inconsequential. So um, the the amount, the water treatment that they do will have no effect on the soil, no effect on your seeding, and the high pH um, is uh, is is also within within the tolerances of of natural seeding. So I don't expect any negative outcomes from using seedy water, establishing lawns, irrigating lawns, things like that. Uh, there you go, Ron. Thank you. And Jim emailed, how, you know, we're talking about the normal height of mowing for lawns. What's the, what's the recommended height? You know, it's the way I talk about it now is as high as you can tolerate. There are, um, the higher you mow, the deeper your roots are going to grow and the thicker your lawn is going to be and the less um, maintenance you're going to have to do. It actually grows slower the higher you mow it. Uh, our research has, has kind of said once you start getting below two and a half inches, we start to see increases in certain types of weeds like crabgrass and bentgrass. Between two and a half and three and a half inches generally is kind of a sweet spot. Most mowers will go up to three and a half inches now. Um, so somewhere in that two and a half to three and a half inches with a sharp mower blade is the best that you can do for mowing a lawn. Yeah, I've got mine high enough that I can run over the electric cord without... Uh when you can Without do that, worry. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you can do that, you're probably that you're probably at about the right uh, level for sure. Well, Doug, with that, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much once again. It's always a pleasure. Been thank a pleasure. Yeah, it's so fun to do this, Larry. We'll do it again. Doug Sob, that our guest professor in the Department of Soil Science at UW Madison, also chair of the department right now. Great to have him with us, and we will have him back, and we'll do it all over again. Then, of course, we'll have another good garden talk show coming up next week on Friday. As we look ahead, though, to Monday, Basam Shakashiri is back with us. And we'll talk about the latest uh, science news uh, that's uh, coming out. And Sam certainly will talk about that. And then at 11.45, the weather guys are back. And they're going to talk about tropical storms in Texas and California. We'll deal a bit with humidity uh, with them. And uh, somebody wanted to know whether birds get struck by lightning. And uh, they'll have an answer to that as well. So I hope you can listen in on Monday, but why not stay with us right through the afternoon? Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Mueller.